As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered, As Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Would you join me and let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of this day. It is a day of celebration that leads to a most serious week. And it's so easy to take Palm Sunday and, and enjoy the idea of a parade. But God, uh, today was the day 2,000 years ago that everything began to take a turn in Jesus' life. It's the day that your plan for our salvation took on a whole new, a whole new level. And so God, as we look at the passage and the events of 2,000 years ago, help us to see, God, where we are, where we would have been then, and, and what these events mean to us It's easy to get excited looking forward to our plans for Resurrection Sunday in a week, Uh, but there's a lot that happened in Jesus' life, including his death in the days that are ahead. And so, God, we give this time to you and just pray that you would be glorified in, in the words that we share, God, in our understanding of what it is that you have done for us and who it is that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today really is an awesome day. It's a fun day. It's appropriate that we start with this parade and that parade and those people in it. They're a glimpse ahead into the drama that will be here uh, Good Friday because this isn't the only thing that happened. Palm Sunday isn't the only thing that happened 2,000 years ago. There was a parade. There, there truly was. At the end of the parade, the one the parade was for, Jesus, the one that they were celebrating, everybody disappeared. And the parade and the people became disinterested and scattered. And then it led to the events of the week that was ahead. When I was a kid, I used to love when mom and dad brought us to parades. I don't know, I don't know if they were different then, if they were better, if they were bigger, but I used to love them. My personality, I, I always kind of enjoyed watching from the sidelines. The marching bands, the fire trucks, the candy. I mean, who doesn't love a good parade, right? But I, I loved watching from the curb and I, I realized as an adult, I'm still grateful for that because Fifty years ago in New London, there was a tradition to do something different uh, than what often happens now in the New London Water Days Parade. There was another feature. That feature was kids dressed up in costumes or in character, and my mom was a great costume maker. I remember the year that my sister and I were dressed up as the Flintstones, Pebbles and Bam Bam. Yep, that's me. (laughs) What you can't see is... That we were barefoot. And I don't actually know the temperature of that day, but in my mind, it was like 90 degrees and we're hot stepping down six blocks of New London uh, tar trying to get to the end of the parade. I don't know if we won anything, but I knew at that point that I was A, always going to have shoes on my feet, and B, I was going to enjoy parades from the sideline. 
decided it was better to be an observer than a participant by the age of six as far as parades go. 2,000 years ago, there was another parade. Very, very different stakes. It ended very differently. It, it was the beginning of the Jewish week of Passover. Big celebration. People came from all over the area of Jerusalem to celebrate in the city for this event. The parade that occurred was a lot longer than the six blocks that we hot-stepped through downtown New London as kids. And by the time the parade got to the end, truly everyone who was there celebrating the main person at the parade, they had all disappeared. See, the idea of that parade is that Jesus would have taken his seat on the throne in the temple as the king of the Jews, but the people were gone and the events that happened were completely different. It's interesting to look back at how fickle people were then and to realize Things haven't changed so much at all. Began in this little village, a little town outside the city of Jerusalem. Even then, just like it does today, the city of Jerusalem has a huge wall around it. And there was this little community, a little village called Bethpage, the Bible talks about. It sat on a hillside outside of Jerusalem to the east, near where the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane are. There's a picture of it today. This is looking into the city of Jerusalem from Bethpage, this is a Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane area. And as you look through, you see the city to the left and a little bit of the countryside to the right. The buildings have changed, but the area hasn't changed a whole lot. And as they enter Bethpage, Jesus gives this strange command to his disciples. Matthew 21, he says, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. This command seems so strange. Why in the world would he ask for a donkey and a colt? But it fulfills this prophecy by the Old Testament prophet Zechariah more than 500 years earlier that said that that's exactly what the Messiah would do. And Israel had been waiting. They'd been waiting for a king that God had promised them, the king that would give them back everything they thought they'd lost and restore them to the greatness that they remember in their history when the mighty King David led Israel. The days when when foreigners trembled at the thought of the Israelite army, they ran at the idea of having to fight them. See, the Jewish people were more than ready for the king to come back and save them from the sins of the Roman army. But that's not what this king that the parade was for had in mind at all. They were looking for a king who was intimidating in his appearance, and he traveled at the front of a massive army of soldiers who struck fear in the hearts of everybody and who rode this mighty war stallion that everyone would be afraid of and that would command respect. That's what the Jews wanted. That's what they thought was coming because in their mind, that was the king they deserved. That was the king they thought they deserved. That was the king that they wanted. So on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. That wasn't what they were waiting for. They were initially ecstatic. Their Messiah, their Savior, the one they were waiting for, had finally arrived, the direct descendant of King David, on his mother's and his father's side. He seemed to have God's blessing, and this was the one. And an impromptu parade results. The people start singing shouts of Hosanna to recognize that this is the son of David. Hosanna, what it means is save us. Began the people recognized and they put Jesus in his proper place. They praised him for who he really was. And almost as fast as it had begun, they started noticing details that they didn't like. Details, little things about this parade that weren't what they were looking for. Details like the donkey that was leading the colt that Jesus was riding on. That's not the king they wanted. They didn't want a king riding a donkey, much less a colt. 
In fact, as far as they were concerned, this King Jesus guy had it all wrong. But God's never wrong. And and the details of what they did not know, that the power of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem would really reveal itself only when they started thinking about the things that they didn't like. First of all, it was no accident that Jesus chose Sunday to ride into Jerusalem. He could have done it any time he wanted. This Sunday was special because it was the Sunday before Passover Friday. It's the day that all of the faithful Jewish people in Jerusalem excuse me, and around the area did the same thing. It was the day that all of those families selected the lamb that they would offer as a sacrifice in a gesture of atonement for their sins later in the week. So those lambs, they would be purchased from the shepherds that kept these fields, uh, kept these flocks just for this purpose outside the city of Jerusalem, places just like that little village called Bethany where Jesus began the parade. And it was those shepherds that would gather the physically perfect lambs, the ones that were phys- physically perfect in appearance and in color. And what they would do is they would wrap them in what the Bible calls swaddling claws to prevent those lambs from walking or getting dirty or hurting themselves just like Jesus' mother had done with him 33 years ago outside of one of those little villages where they kept the animals. Why did he choose to ride the colt of a borrowed donkey? Because for one thing, he only needed it for a few hours. The second thing is because that colt had never been ridden by anyone else before. Jesus was the first. Jesus, the Lamb of God, chosen by God himself as the perfect sacrifice later in the week for the sins of all mankind, rides into Jerusalem as the king of the Jews on a colt, which signified to everyone there that this king was going to usher in an era of peace under his reign, not of war. That's what the war stallion would have signified. Under Jesus' reign as king, it was going to be a reign of peace. But to the Jewish crowds, this wasn't what they wanted. That was not the king that they wanted. He wasn't the one they thought they deserved. They didn't want a king of peace. They wanted a king of war, of power, a fearsome warrior like David to overthrow every one of their oppressors. They wanted their place. They wanted their power. They wanted their position back. They didn't want a wimp riding a colt. That wasn't what they wanted for a king. And I wonder, how different are we today? What about you? What do you want Jesus to be? You got up early and got dressed and came to church early on a Sunday morning. Jesus factored into that decision. Somehow we talk about how God makes divine appointments with his people. And we believe you're here as a divine appointment, that God's got something for you specifically this morning. But what do you want from him? At the end of this short parade, at the end of this week, they decided they didn't want a king to save them from their sins. They wanted a king to save them from the Romans. See, what they didn't understand is that Rome wasn't their problem. Their own sinful hearts were the problem. Nothing's changed. In America today, we are so good at pointing the problem at everything and everyone but ourselves. Well, the problem, of course, is our government. The government's our problem. Russia is our problem. The government isn't our problem. Russia isn't our problem. Our president isn't our problem. Our last president isn't our problem. Just like the Jews, sin is our problem. And how we understand Jesus and who we accept him to be tells us if we're just like that crowd 2,000 years ago or whether or not we have actually learned something. In so many ways, we're no different than those Jews of 2,000 years ago. They wanted the king that they wanted. And because Jesus didn't live up to their expectations, he didn't 
fit the profile of what they thought they deserved, they turned their backs on him. And as that day ended, and as the week ended, they ended up changing their shouts from praise him to crucify him. And in less than a week, he was dead on a cross. Why? Because he didn't meet their expectations. And yet he knew that he gave his life for their sins. So how many people in our world today, I wonder, how many Christians don't want King Jesus the way that God gives him to us? And I got thinking this week, I thought, we want a Burger King Jesus. We want Jesus our way. Or not at all. We're like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka in a Burger King. Follow me, I'm combining some images there. We want Jesus our way, and we want him now. But I don't want him to expect anything of me. I don't want Jesus to expect or demand or or look for anything from me. I want him to be what I want him to be for me. Like Veruca Salt, (laughs) we want the golden egg and the goose that laid it. Remember her? First she saw the golden ticket. She had to have that. And then she got inside the kingdom of Willy Wonka, and she saw the golden egg, and it wasn't enough to get the golden egg. She had to have the goose that laid the golden egg. And what had ended up happening was that her and her greed ended up standing in the wrong place, and down the chute she went as the bad egg. And that's so often what can happen to us if we don't accept Jesus for who he is, and we only expect him to be what we want him to be. See, see God gives us this opportunity as well. It's called free will. We get the chance to make decisions. We get to choose all kinds of things in this life, including whether or not we'll accept Jesus for who he really is. But that doesn't mean that we get to fashion Jesus into the Savior that we want. And so often we do that. We, we say, well, I, I like Jesus and I like what he stands for and I like how he makes me feel. So I want forgiveness, but I don't want to have to be going through repentance. I want blessing, but I don't want responsibility. I want salvation, but I don't want obedience. I want healing, Jesus, but I don't want to have to be grateful for it. I want abundance without any generosity on my part. We we want our heavenly inheritance that he promises us, but I don't want to have to give any earthly service. That's just not the Jesus that rode into Jerusalem, and that's not the Jesus who lives today, and that's the reason that the Jews turned their back on him. Because it wasn't what they wanted. He stood for things that they they weren't interested in. So still today, Jesus is committed to God's work no matter what it means to him. Jesus was so completely committed to living in God's will that he allowed himself without a fight or without argument to be executed for our sins. Jesus lived in God's will and he died in God's will for us. The Jews didn't really want that kind of king. We've been studying the book of Acts lately, seeing how committed... Paul is to doing God's work no matter what it meant to him. Paul lived in God's will when it meant traveling by boat in uncomfortable ways to all over his part of the world as a missionary. He was committed to God's will when it meant that he was beaten and thrown in jail. He was committed to God's will when he was pummeled in rocks and and they left him for dead. Paul did all of that because he was committed to Jesus. I had this thought all week. As I've been preparing this message, today on this Palm Sunday, when we think about that parade and we have the fun of recreating it, what are you committed to? Maybe the question is, who are you committed to? Do you love Jesus for what he does for you? 
Or do you love Jesus for who he is? For the comfort that he brings? For the forgiveness you receive from the death, from his death for your sins? Or do you love Jesus just simply for who he is? Are you committed to Jesus, the son of God, the homeless man? Born to a single mom? Who grew up and never had a home to call his own? And spent his life with sinful men and women and rode into the city of Jerusalem to face the week of his death on a borrowed colt. Do you accept that Jesus as your King and Lord and Savior? Or do you find yourself more like Veruca Salt at a Burger King who wants Jesus the way she wants him and she wants him that way now? See, in America, even in churches, we've kind of fashioned Jesus into what we want him to be. So, so maybe this Palm Sunday, maybe the thought that we need to have is, Are we as committed to Jesus as Jesus has shown he's committed to us? It matters because on Friday of this week, we're going to gather and there's going to be a drama. And that drama is going to, in a a different way for us, recreate the day that Jesus was crucified. That perfect Lamb of God, chosen on Lamb Selection Day in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, was sacrificed for you and for me. God showed his perfect love for us on that day when the Bible says you and I were still dead in our sin. That's the Jesus that God sent to us. So one week from today is the greatest celebration in the whole year of the Christian church. The day that we celebrate the risen Jesus walking out of the tomb to a new life. But it isn't just a new life for him. It's a new life that he offers to you and I. But only when we accept him for who he is, his sacrifice and forgiveness as they're given to us by God. There is no doing it our way or having it our way in that situation outside of God. It's either God's way or it's your way without God. So maybe this year is the year for you that Resurrection Sunday takes on a whole new feeling, a whole new meaning. Maybe this is the year that you really and truly celebrate Jesus' resurrection and your new life in Him. If you haven't accepted Jesus for who He is, For the Savior that God sent him to be for you, please do. There's lights on in both corners. There's people right now that would love the opportunity to pray with you or to pray for you. There's no greater celebration on earth or in heaven than when a sinner recognizes Jesus as their Savior and turns their life over to him. Maybe today is the day that you begin your new life in Jesus, recognizing it was Jesus who gave his life for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the celebration of Palm Sunday. Thank you for the events in history that led up to it. But God, most of all, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love for you, for his willingness to be in your will, and for his willingness to die on the cross for sins and things that he never did. God, we don't understand that kind of love. We don't understand that kind of king. But that's who Jesus is because that's who you are. God, as we go through this week ahead and we look forward to all of our family celebrations on Sunday, God, help us to not overlook or take lightly the fact that that celebration cost Jesus his life. And then three days later, you did indeed raise him from the grave to a new life. And you invite us to join him in that new life. God, help that not to be lost on us. Help us not to take that easily or or for granted, but help us to understand just how much you love us when you sent us Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Uh, here's the thing, as we go through this week, and we're going to end this service in a little bit of a different way, because once we leave here, this week turns pretty dark and literally quite deadly for Jesus. And so we're going to leave with that thought in mind. We've got one more song before you go. But here's the thing. As you're getting ready for family celebrations or whether you're going somewhere, or whether you're hosting and you're planning all the menus and everything else, the death and the resurrection of Jesus doesn't do anything for you if you don't live for him. Jesus' death doesn't mean anything to you if you don't live for him. It's a historical fact. It's something that we know is true. It's written about in all kinds of books other than the Bible. But if we're not living for him, his death and resurrection don't mean anything for us. Don't waste the opportunity that you have, not just to know him for who he is, but to know him personally as your Lord and Savior.